0: So I think one of the major things I would tell young people is try to figure out what you want to do when you get out of the sport and start doing some of those things now while you're in the sport. So when you get out of the sport, it's an easier transition.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We're here for Track and Field Black History, and we are joined by an amazing athlete, one of the legends in the sport of track and field. Um, Quick introduction with some of his accolades. He's a three-time Olympian a world champion, a multiple-time SEC champion, NCAA champion um, while at the University of Florida, and the definition of a combination runner with some of the best performances in history, over 400, 500, 600, 800, including a world record at 600. Um, There's tons and tons of accolades that I can name, Um, but we're talking with Mark Everett of the US uh, today. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark.
0: Thank you very much, it's my pleasure. I look forward to it.
1: Absolutely. Um, So just to dive in, um, curious about your background. So you're originally from Florida um, and curious in terms of you growing up in Florida, um, you know, during the 70s and the 80s um, and what initially got you into track and field?
0: Well, what's really funny is I was really born in New York, so I'm a Brooklyn baby. But my family moved to Florida when I was about five or six, and uh, that was a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, coming from fast paced speed and and just you know just a lifestyle that uh, my family lived in moving to florida which actually helped me a lot um and so what's really interesting is my background is really basketball so the school that i went to and living in that area you know i grew up playing basketball not really running track at all um unfortunately i went to a school that wanted me to play football because i outran the legendary emmett smith who was a very good friend of mine, and uh, I ran him as a sophomore, and he was a freshman. and They want me to uh, play football, and I just wasn't really interested in playing football. And so because I wouldn't play football, they cut me from basketball, but I ended up running track. So I'm really a basketball player who runs track. So people always think, do you love track? And I'm like, no, I hated losing. And so uh, got into track you know, my freshman year, didn't really know, you know what that whole thing was all about, but one of the things, I was just very, very competitive and um, just trying to find my place on the team as a freshman, trying to score points, you know, to get that letter to put on your jacket, uh, didn't score any points as a freshman. Then my sophomore year started developing, you know, I think the bas, I'm sure the basketball background helped a lot as far as my jumping because I became a triple jumper, a long jumper, high jumper, uh, ran 100, 200, 400, and very few 800 meters. So 800 really didn't come about until I got to college and uh, Coach Walker, you know, brought me to Florida. and He sat down with me and he asked me a simple question. Do you want to be good or great? And I said, I want to be great. He said, in order to be great, you got to run the eight. He said, but this is the secret. If you put the effort into the 800, your 400s will get better. And and that's really what happened, you know, and so I, I'm a product of the system. Um, the great guys I had, the training, um, the weights, the food, uh, just a I mean, you have, you know, this different guys we had on a team were superstar athletes, and it was just a pleasure to be around world class athletes and training with them every day, you know, fighting for your spot, you know, and so it's, it's been a great, great run. I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to do what I've done and it, you know it's exciting. It's been exciting, exciting run long, long time ago, but very, very exciting run. <laughs>
1: A long, long time, but like you said, it's exciting and you've had a significant impact on the sport in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, I am curious because I actually didn't know that you're originally from New York. Have you gotten a chance to um, spend some time, like a significant amount of time in New York since, you know, you, know, you moved there since you were five. But um, curious if you'd have a significant amount of time to spend there and maybe comparing New York to Florida.
0: Well, one of the things, uh, you know, I try to go back, you know, obviously COVID kind of stopped that, but I would try to go back at least every year. My family would go back. And so I was still, you know, connected to to New York, you know, with family and things like that. But the longer I stayed in Alabama, I mean, sorry, the longer I stayed in Florida, the more, you know, that gravity that pull to Florida kind of had people, you know, I I just started claiming Florida, you know, and and just uh, there's a bunch of athletes in New York. You know, but there's not a lot of opportunities to compete, you know, because most in New York, you're going to have, especially where we were, where you know, you have indoors, obviously, but, you know, to have year-round weather and and people competing, you know, the, most of the, if you look at most of the sports, especially like football, every team that's a top 10, 15, 20 team is going to have a kid from Florida, you know, as a cornerback or as a running back receiver, you know, so the, the talent base in Florida is just so overwhelming and so you're always competing with someone at any sport, any level that you'd want. So, you know, I'm proud to, you know, say I was born in New York, grew up in Florida, but now I live in Birmingham, Alabama. So now I claim that I've been here like 15 years now. And, and, uh, I do not like the Crimson Tide football team, by the way, but <laughs> I do like the state of Alabama and it's been very great. You know, um, I have, you know, a business here and it's just, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a, a great ride, a great run. And, and I'm Very exciting to see, you know, the upcoming athletes coming along, Um, you know, because people always ask me, you know, who are some of the upcoming athletes you have? And I have some that I've trained, but probably the the kid out of uh, Kentucky, the Cade kid, um, his family reached out to me uh, through a mutual friend. He was going to run a meeting at Ole Miss and he's running against college kids. And I just kind of told him, you know, enjoy the moment, take advantage, listen to your coach, trust your training and run your best. He said, my goal is to go there and break uh, Michael Granville's 146 record you know I was like wow you know and he ran the third fastest time ever so I do predict that kid to break Granville's record which Kirsch held it before then but it's funny when you think about the process so Kirsch held the record for many many years well Granville reached out to Kirsch to ask him what does he need to do break the record so it's just funny how you know you want to see that you know records are made to be broken obviously I was able to break some records and also have you know records broken as well but you know it's just a it's just a process, you know, and so anytime you can, and help young people, you know, achieve their goals and give them some information to help them get better and improve it, it just makes the sport better and just, and and that's what happened for me coming into the sport, you know, the Johnny Grays, the Butch Reynolds, the Roger Kingdoms, the Jackie Jonah Kersey's, you know, the Mike Powells, you know, all those great phenomenal Carl Lewis's that took me under their wing to teach me about the sport. And, and I think that's kind of the, probably my thing I would say is, that's kind of missing with our sport i think some of the younger people don't know the history of our sport and it's really hard to move forward in the future if you don't know what the past has set up to get put you in a position to do what you're doing now
1: that's such a good point where you're you know noting that yeah if you don't know the history right um that doesn't set you up to really be successful to know where to go in the future um and you mentioned a plethora of names um that were really big names during the time that you were competing in the 80s and the 90s um i'm curious that, well, you got to Florida and, you know, you said that you were kind of finding your way, but really early on, I mean, 1988, you made your first Olympic team and you were still um, very, I think you were the youngest person on the team you might've been. Yes, yes. Um, So I'm curious in terms of not only that experience, but then did you have anybody to lean on to learn from as you did go through that experience of making your first Olympic team? Um,
0: Well, what's funny about that is uh, I went into the, um, ncaa championship favorite to win and uh the competition was pretty stiff because you had the later on world olympic champion paula rang in that race but you know i was favorite to win i didn't go into the race preparing myself on and off the track and i stopped short of the line thinking i got third or fourth and i'm getting eighth and so that's one of the things i talked to my kids about making sure you know what a finish line is and running five yards past so after that race, I was pretty devastated, you know, my coaches were disappointed and I was really disappointed in myself that I felt like I should have won that race. And so I came back to Gainesville and my coach said, you know, just let's get ready for next year. But I knew I had so much more in me. So I started looking at some of the workouts that he gave me and some of the stuff, some of the things I did in high school. And I just came up with my own workout plan because I knew that we had another meet. Back then you had the TAC championships, which is, you know, now the USA championships before you had Olympic trials. And I had in my mind determined to go down to Tampa, you know, which is right up the street, and win that USA Championship, which was a TAC Championship. And so I trained, you know, madly in the summer to get ready for that. And so I went through the rounds with a vendetta, you know, letting everyone know that I was not—I wasn't a failure. It was just a, a mishap on my part, and I will learn from that mistake. So when I went to the USA Championships, I ran a one forty five o five and PR, which would have obviously won the NCA meet that set me up pretty good going into the trials, but I can't sit there and tell you when I did that, that I was looking at thinking I'd make the finals, or even make the team. I just wanted to compete and, and do my best. And so as the trials went on, you know, it was just interesting to just keep making the finals, but really a lot of it was me following Kirsch, you know, making sure Kirsch didn't beat me and he just stepped up, you know, like a big dog. And so, you know, I was able to make the team, obviously he got fourth, which was, you know, heartbreaking for me, but that, actually really catapulted me into a whole nother realm of thinking about track and, you know, the professional side of it and things like that. And when I went to uh, Seoul, Korea in 88, I had an opportunity to get sponsored. And so different companies and 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 uh, clubs were reaching out to me talking about less, you know, you should turn pro. But I, I, the thing about it, the money was good, but I wanted to get my degree. And I didn't feel like I had accomplished enough in college to take that make that move and i'm so glad i didn't because the following year i got injured so my junior year my only achievement was i was was with the sec title which before me there was no one ever in sec history to win four championships in a row so i won as a freshman sophomore junior and senior and then mr tony perilla came right behind me and did the same thing uh former um, olympian and a good friend of mine from florida But, you know, so when I went back my junior year and and had an injury, I set out the whole season after USA's and just waited till the next year. And I had a vendetta again. Now I was recharged and I went on to, you know, win USA championships. I mean, win the NCAA indoor-outdoor, broke the NCAA record. I won USA championships, went to Europe, beat everybody. And then I came back for the Goodwill Games and my dad had died. And so that was really heartbreaking for me because I had a very close relationship with my parents. And so I came back home after the Goodwill games and just maybe thought about quitting track to take care of my mom and that kind of thing. But, you know, she said, you need to keep running. So I went back to Europe, I didn't really run well. And so I was running, I got sixth, seventh, eighth, but my mind was not in the races after, you know, coming back from Goodwill after my dad passed. And so I really had to think about, you know, life. I got ranked third in the world and they said if I'd had any kind of um, good after, the goodwill game second half of the season I'd been ranked number 1 in the world but no one could beat me at that time and I I mean I knew I was ready so it's just you know the process of dealing with all those sort of things and and then as I started moving forward I really wanted to drop my 400 meter time you know I really wanted to see if I can go under 45 and um I was able to do that in a, in a big race in Helsinki when I ran 44.59 you know with uh, the late Roberto Hernandez and um uh, you know so that was huge and then I was able to drop and break 144, which, you know, threw me in the category of, you know, with El Caballo as far as being the fastest 400, 800 combo person ever, which I didn't even know that even existed. But as I kept going, I was able to drop my 800 time down and, and to claim that title was pretty awesome, you know, to be the fastest combo 800, 400 runner ever in history.
1: That, yeah, that is amazing. And I think even to this day, I think you're still, you, you probably still are the... I mean, maybe like one or two um, or two or three, right, Mm -hmm. in terms of the combo sprinter. Um, And I'm curious on your perspective of that, because a lot of runners who run the 800, they go up to the 1500 in the mile. And then even 400 meter runners, they go down, right, to the 200 as opposed to straddling for eight. Um, Curious why you said you started off as a sprinter. Why is it that you did go into the 800 and continued with it throughout your entire career? well i mean
0: the the eight was just a great race but really ideally the great best race for me was the 600 which i still hold the world record in and the five but i really like those a lot but um it's just one of those things where it just fit me because as i started learning more about the eight and and probably of all the races out there right now that's probably the hardest one to coach kids Mm -hmm. on you know because you don't know if the kids are a sprint 800 meter runner or a strength 800 meter runner and some of the kids i'm seeing now are just strictly 800 meter runners which is really hard to to figure out that that perfect system to put them in for them to be successful because it seems like you either got to come from a sprint background or a distance background but um it, it i mean i love the eight i mean it was very challenging i would love to run in this era now when they have four by eight relays and world relays and things like that and um you know which is is pretty exciting some of the things they're doing in our sport and, uh, you know, but we had to go four rounds, you know, back in the day. So having Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, rest day on Thursday and then coming back to race the the, the great one, Johnny Gray, you know, taking to the gray zone was, uh, you know, pretty admirable. And it was just fun. And And for me, watching Johnny as a youngster, watching him run and to have an opportunity to, to race against him and to compete with him, you know, because I don't say beat him because that was my that's my idol so to be able to race with johnny gray and, and get to know him and be a good friend of his is just a, a lifelong dream for me and even now when i go to track meets and i see mr carl lewis he always say call him carl but that's king carl i can't do that you know and i just reconnected with ben johnson on facebook you know another one of my icons i mean so those guys are just iconic athletes that i love and just appreciate roger kingdom you know, those are just iconic people that I could I have in my rolodex of people that I can call and reach out to, and it's kind of cool. Mike Powell, the world record holder. You know, what I mean, to be able to say that is, I mean, I'm in that category a little bit, but those guys are just at a whole nother, I guess, ethos, as you know, one might say.
1: Nice, yeah. The tons and tons of names, and it's great that you're you spoke about you're speaking about the camaraderie that you have amongst um, these guys, right? Johnny Gray. Um, you all, you have back and forth sometimes, um, you beat him a couple of times, he beat you, um, a couple of times, but that camaraderie and that kind of like friendship is really great to, to highlight. Um, did, do you feel like it, as a whole during your time in the eighties and nineties that amongst other 800 meter runners as well, um, and even other 400 meter runners, right? Um, Johnny gray, um, there's Perilla, there's Kirsch, um, the 400 guys, Reynolds and, uh, Lewis and all them. Was there a general camaraderie amongst all you guys?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we
0: would fight like cats and dogs on the track. I mean, we wanted to win. I mean, that was no offense about it. But later on that night or that day before, we're sitting in the hotel playing cards and telling jokes. You know, so that's the part of going to Europe that I miss, you know, that kind of camaraderie where you're talking to them, you know, you knew their families, you knew their kids, you knew their wives, you know, you knew their history. And I was a historian, so I always asked questions about how they got started in the sport, what they did, you know, from the shot putter to the discus thrower, to the hammer thrower, And I didn't realize at that time that I would use that information to end up becoming a coach. So a lot of stuff that I pull out, my kids are like, where do you get this from? And I start thinking about it, you know, coach, how do you know about the shot put? And then I started thinking about the time I spent with Randy Barnes teaching me shot put, you know, and how do you know about the long jump? I think about the time I spent with Carl Lewis or Mike Powell learning about the long jump. How do you know about a triple jump? You know, Mike Conley and 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 those guys, you know, and the hurdles. And, and so I have such a plethora of information that I was able to, you know, um, retain and use later on. And I didn't realize I, I had that, you know. So I ended up getting a coaching job at this high school here in, in Alabama Mountain Book High School. And they had me doing a lot of different events. And then later on, this school called Birmingham Southern, which was the division three school, reached out to me to help start the track and field program. And lo and behold, I'm in charge of field events. So I had to teach hammer, uh, javelin, pole vault, you know. And I was like, and I started thinking, I'm like, do I know those events? High jump. You know, I was like, I do. I know the penultimate step is. I, you know, so it was cool to pull that information out that I had over the years. Because a lot of times we have training camps. And so when I'd finish my workout, I'd sit around and watch other athletes work out. And I'd ask them questions about, you know, what made you do this? How did you get over that? I mean, like one example of, you know, jumping. You know, one of the things I noticed with the kids, when they're trying to jump far, they don't understand you got to get up in the air to jump. And so, you know, they show me how to put a chair in the sand and then put a hurdle in the sand and then move it back. And, you know, different things like that that you learn, a high jumping, you know, how to get your hips up, you know, it's a technique with the hurdles. You know, it's so much stuff that, you know, I, I have a, I get a plethora of information on and I was able to parlay that to a business of training. Then I started a scouting company, primetime scouting, helping kids get scholarships you know, we focus on D2, D3, NAI, HBCUs. I have scouts all around the country to help me. But like, prime example, if I get a kid to come to me and they send me a video and they say they're a triple jumper, well, I immediately send it to Kenny Harrison, the Olympic gold medalist in 96, and he breaks that video down and sends it back to me. If I have a hurdler, I send it to my scout, either Ellis or Roger Kingdom, you know, let them look at it. You know, so I have such a plethora of this information of these great, iconic, technical you know, um, athletes that have done it at such a high level. And A lot of those guys now are in the coaching ranks and they're doing a wonderful job. And it's exciting to watch them pass on that information. You know, probably one of my proudest people is Quincy, you know, at USC. I used to call him DJ Quick, you know, with the jerry curl, you know, and so it's, uh, it, it's, it's awesome. It's really awesome. A lot of fun.
1: Nice. Do you do you encourage athletes now who are competing in various events to learn from, you know, other athletes and other events like is there a, like crossover with some of the training methods or things? They can? Oh, work? my goodness.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, 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 definitely. I think so many people are trying to specialize and I think that's a mistake. I think you need to have some cross training things. And, and I think when you look back on back when we were running distance running in America, they weren't able to get medals. And the main reason they weren't able to get medals is because they didn't know how to race. They were good at pacing. So when you go into the World Championship and Olympics, you race against Ethiopians or Kenyans or you know those other countries, they're changing the speed of the race. So what you saw was a lot of distance runners started hiring sprint coaches to teach them how to sprint. And once they learn how to sprint, they could change the pace and then we start getting more medals. And I think that's definitely significant reason why America picked up in, in the distance races because typically we wouldn't get medals. In the distance races because those, those other countries would change the pace change the race you know so you have to learn how to race and not necessary pace
1: nice nice so just to backtrack a little bit i'm curious um because you've spoken a lot about what you're doing with um young athletes now and some of the things that you've started um over the past couple of years right since you retired But i'm curious in terms of um the support for athletes and some of the support that you may or may not have received um and thinking specifically about financial literacy i mean no i know you even noted when you um, in 1988, right, you were getting these offers to potentially go professional and things like that. Um, How did you navigate that as a young athlete? And do you have advice for young athletes now who might be getting these professional offers, um, offers and things like that?
0: I mean, honestly, there is not many athletes that I would say that should turn pro in high school. I I just don't think they're ready. You know, and I can name, you can name a few who who have done it and done a great job, but I can name you so many who did not. You know, and and so I think that structure of having college and competing on a college level, having that coaching, being around older people, older athletes, learning how to compete, how to run rounds, the support you get. And so that really helped me because if I had turned pro in 88, I would not have been able to keep running. You know, I probably would have got injured like I did last year, lost my contract, you know, and then I had to pay for school, you know. So luckily for me, I was around a lot of wise people. I had parents who you know, instilled the, the value of money and you know, saving and, and looking toward the future. And I think that's one of the big, so I, I wouldn't say the biggest, but one of the problems I think with the young people, they don't think about when they retire. You know, one day it's gonna be over with, you know, it could be an injury, it could be age or whatever. You know, so learning how to parlay that into a job. So I think one of the major things I would tell young people is try to figure out what you wanna do when you get out of the sport and start doing some of those things now while you're in the sport, so when you get out of the sport, it's an easier transition. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to college, but I just think the college structure, you know, I think one of the, the greatest stories of that would be uh, Moo Thing, who probably was ready to turn pro out of high school, but went to Texas AM, got under Pat Hendry's tutelage, taught her about racing, helped her run 400, switched her up to the eight. You know, she didn't really run a lot of eights. You know, when she did, she was ready to roll, went to the Olympic trials, won the trials, and then won the games, then signed a big, fat, huge contract. You know, Sydney McLaughlin, you know, going to Kentucky for a year, you know, really helped her. But I see some of these kids that don't even go to college and go, you know, I can think of like, you know, Kelly White, not Kelly White, uh, the girl out of, uh, what's her name? She ran 1098 8 in high school, um, the sophomore, turned pro. Uh, uh, Kay- uh, Kayla Whitney? No, what's her name? No, that's, uh, I oh, can't um, remember. Name
1: Candace Hill. It might be
0: Candace, Candace Hill. Candice Hill. Yeah. Yeah. So you ran 10 9, 8 as a sophomore, which is a phenomenal time and the fast time ever. But she was not ready to turn pro. I mean, that, 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 I mean but, I, but it was so much money offered to her that, you know, it was hard to turn down. But, you know, now with the way the NCAA works with the, the, the monies you can get, you know, the portal, um, social media, you know, a lot of my friends reached out to me and said, Mark, if you had social media like it is now back then, you would be a billionaire," Because I was doing a lot of stuff, you know, the, the clapping, the gator chomp the run around the track, you know, getting the crowd all into it. And and that was just, you know, it was just fun. I enjoyed competing. I enjoyed putting on the show. And it was just a lot of fun. I was blessed. I I thank God for the ability to be able to do that. And it was just fun. And and I love my time in the sport.
1: Nice. And kind of to bounce off that, um, thinking about how the sport was represented back in the 80s and 90s compared to now where, you know, you didn't have social media back then um, to not only not see races as frequently, but Now, athletes they can post races, they can you know do promotions, they can post all kinds of things about themselves, not only just what they're doing on the track or in the field. Um, And overall, do you see that as a positive? Um, And do you see you know athletes leveraging that in a good way, both in your experience on what you (gasps) see, and also maybe with the athletes that you coach?
0: Um, I don't think enough athletes take advantage of the social media platform to get people to know who they are, because for us when we were running, you had to count on the commentators to tell your story. And for me, I, I, I like to interview, but if I didn't like you as an interview, interviewer, I wouldn't interview with you. So then they would just tell their own narrative of a story. Now, what I did love is every time I would run, it would always be a surprise that I would win, but I've won championship, the national championship 12 times. So every time I run, it's like a surprise. And I'm like, why are you surprised that I, I win? I mean, I've been winning this a long time. But I think if the younger people had the right people around them, teach them how to market, and how to, you know, get people to watch them and look at their workouts and talk about real issues they're going through and things like that. I think that would bring a more human uh, role to it and it make the TV, because what happens, I think sometimes with some of the TV that I'm kind of disappointed in, they only talk about the same people over and over again. You know, and so if you make the finals of Olympic trials or you make the finals of Olympics, but let say in the US, you make the finals of Olympic uh, finals of any sport, they should tell your story and talk about you. You know, that you've worked that hard to make it to the finals and parents want to see that. But they talk about one or two people and human interest are on that and just kind of move on. And there are a lot of great athletes that are doing some really, really cool things that I would like to hear about. But that social media is that opportunity for you to do that.
1: That's such a good point. I completely agree. The storytelling is like super essential because, yeah, you may you may finish eighth. You may not even make the final of the trials. Right. You may finish like ninth. Right. Just outside the final. But you have a super compelling story that could be told. And four years later you might be the one right who's at the top of the um podium right going to olympics or making it onto the medal stand so absolutely definitely, definitely agree there um one thing i'm also curious about just in terms of um kind of relating to that do you think that track and field as a whole so in the you know you spoke about some of the great athletes uh, carl lewis and jackie joanna kersey and you know tons of people back in your time and we have tons who are uh, really popular now but it does seem like for the most part, a lot of people in the general public can probably name Usain Bolt and then even Allison Felix as popular and like widespread as she is, right? The general public may not know um, some of the big athletes we have. So I'm curious if you think that, um, if you think of, if are there ways or are there things that um, track and field can do, media can do, athletes can do to further grow our sport um, for the general public?
0: Um, I think like we talked about the social media platform is huge. I think what I'm what you're seeing with a lot of these athletes and I just I would say if someone asked me what's the most disappointing thing about track and field right now compared to back in the day, these kids don't compete, you know they don't compete you won't see them for a month or two months I'm like how are you not competing. So we competed every week, twice a week sometimes. And I think the more frequency you compete, the more people see you out there competing. You, you get your name out there and people start seeing you as a fierce competitor. But I think some of these kids that are not competing and waiting around and are waiting for the championships and not competing in training, you got to run. And that's why when you're in college, you're going to run. They give you a scholarship. You're going to run a four by one, four by four, 100, 200, you're going to compete. You know. And so I, I just think that some of these I don't know if it's agents. I'm not sure what that's all about. I, I really don't know. I mean, I like running, you know, so I, I hated training, but I love to compete. So I'd much rather run a track meet, you know, go out and die for like a minute, and 44, a minute, and 43, 45 seconds, than go do an hour, two hour workout, you know? So I think that's one of the biggest problems. They don't compete very often. Exactly. They don't compete. They put so much pressure on themselves to make these teams, you know, that they just don't compete. And I, I just go compete. Even if you do an event that's not your event, just go compete you know, so people can see you. And you got a lot of young people that wanna hear your story and wanna to touch you and they come to attract me to see, you know, like I said, the Allison Felix and the Usain Boats and the Lyles and, you know, some of those other people that are coming up, you know. Um, so great human interest story with a lot of those people because they're, one of the things I tell people about when you're talking to someone, you have to have fi- find common ground. If you can find common ground with someone, then therefore you can talk to them and you can share ideas and things like that. And I think the common ground with a lot of those athletes, these younger athletes, seeing like a great athlete, not knowing his story, you know, his or her story. You know, I was the only person in my whole high school to get cut from his track team. I mean, a lot of people didn't know that. But no one in my history of my high school got cut and my coach cut me. And I asked him, I said, why'd you cut me? He said, one, you weren't that good. And everyone teased me about cutting someone. So you were just casual to war. I said, you cut the best athlete you ever had. He said, you came back. And I said, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like Michael Jordan, you know, getting cut from basketball. You know, so you have trials and tribulations that you go through. You don't quit and you give up. You just keep fighting. You know, I'm, I, I love the Nike slogan, just do it. I mean, get rid of the excuses, go out there and compete. And the more you compete and the more you go out there, the more you find out, you know, better ways to run, better ways to, to utilize your body and, and that kind of stuff. So I, I think this, this not competing is causing that problem. Because the infrequency of these athletes, that's what it is. Like you hear someone run fast, he's like, where's so-and-so? Oh, he's not running. You know, you got the 400 meter hurdler who broke the world record. Well, where is he at? You know, he's over in Norway. You're like, why is he not running? You know, so I, I commend the 100 meter uh, Olympic champion from Italy for coming indoors and racing, you know, and, and running and also winning the world championship. That was huge, because typically when people win their championships, they also almost let it go into hiding, you know. So, I mean, if you want to beat the man, beat the man. So I was always like, hey, let, let's go.
1: Very I'm true. ready. very true um and just to kind of note on the indoor point i I actually spoke with antonio mckay a couple weeks ago and great guy he's you know he was very consistent indoors multiple time you know world champion indoors and you competed indoors tons of times i mean tons and tons of times very consistently um and i'm curious why you did that like you were kind of saying we have so many athletes who just completely skip indoors right it's like indoors not even a sport anymore (laughs)
0: I, I, I loved indoors. I mean, I really did, because it gave me a chance to break out the monotony of training. It also gave me a chance to see some of my friends, but just to see where I, where I was in my training. And so that was a great vehicle for me to see where I was. If I could run, you know, good indoors, that, that let me know that outdoors is going to be, you know, uh, I had a good shot of doing some outdoors. So I'm not sure why they don't run indoors. It's not as much pressure. It's not as many people. You know, some of the tracks are a little tighter, but these tracks now are way nicer now. These 200 meter banked Mondo tracks. Like I ran 45, four in the 400 indoors. Okay. But I ran in lanes the whole entire way. We didn't break. So everyone's like, Mark, that would have been a sub 43. I mean, that could have been a sub 44, obviously, you know, a four, definitely a 44, or whatever, you know, if you could have broke, you know, with the bank track, you know. So I, I don't know why they're not racing. I, but I think. I think part of the reason why they're not racing is because they're making way more more money than we made, so they don't feel the obligation to race. You know, so if you're getting three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, you're kind of sitting on that instead of racing. But, you know, the the money's good, but it's all about competing. If I compete and I win, I'm going to make money. That was just my mentality. So I I like that. So the, the more I run, the better I do, the more money I'm going to make, the more people want to see me, you know, and that kind of thing. But, you know, they're making so much money now that they're just kind of sitting training you know that training is great Meets are better
1: yeah and i think you're definitely one to be able to speak you competed a lot and you had i mean an extremely long career right you and you started off from 80 like you know from the late 80s all the way to 2000 right you completed right um i know you completed in, in uh three olympics but essentially four and, I, and, like and I missed
0: one and i missed an olympics <laughs> You know, so people are like what teams do you make? I said, I made 88 team, the 92 missed 96 and came back in 2000. Yeah. And they're like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> you know, so and, and you're not seeing a lot of these athletes last a long time either. You know, so you're not competing that much. and You're not lasting long. So I, I think that might be a little bit of an issue. Yeah, but you know, I don't know.
1: Definitely. Um, so just to close out, uh, just a couple other questions to close out. W- one, I'm curious if you have a favorite athlete uh, to watch currently, and it could be a you know one of the big stars, or it could be someone that's kind of an uppercomer and many people don't know about. Curious if you have.
0: Um, probably my, I mean, my greatest coaching accomplishment would have to be a, a young man by the name of uh, Daniel Nixon. He went to uh, I got him when he was a sophomore in high school here in Alabama. Uh, trained him all the way through his Spain Park years went to mississippi state had a little success left there went to iowa state you know had some decent success and uh after he didn't make it to the ncaa finals uh out of the region he came home and really contemplate wanting to quit track and i said daniel we put too much work in let's grind so we went back to a drawing board worked him out got him right and he was able to make the finals of the olympic trials so now I have an athlete who is Olympic trials finalist. He's now training and running for Atlanta uh, track club under um, uh, Rich Canals track club, who's the president of that group. So I'm super, super proud of him. And I think he's one of those kids up and coming. But I have a lot of young athletes that are coming up that I think are going to make some noise. So I'm I'm excited about, you know, where they are and, you know, what they can do.
1: Nice. That's beautiful. And I think that's real great motivation, right? You're, you, you're contemplating quitting, um, but- You're able to come back and to be an Olympic trials finalist—that's a really, really big deal, (laughs) right? Oh yeah, and he pr'd three times in the rounds. I mean, he
0: was the only athlete to do that. Every round he pr'd. He went 146 high, went 146 low, and then came back in the finals around 145, I think six or seven. So I was super, super proud of him. It's like he made the team. You know, I was super excited for him. So you know, he accomplished. And I said, "See, if you'd have quit, you'd never known what would have happened." So I said, "It's likened to what they said in the Bible." you know, with Jesus, if they had known that Jesus wanted them to crucify him, they wouldn't have done it. Jesus knew, but they didn't know.
1: Very powerful. Yeah, that is some great, great motivation there. Um, And then a little bit different, but let's say you had the chance to compete at the upcoming Olympics. um, And let's say you're in your prime, no injuries, you're completely healthy, but you can't run your primary event. So I'm going to extend no 400 to 800. So none of those events. (laughs) <laughs> so Ooh. what event would you choose and why? And it could be on the track, could be on the field. What event would you choose?
0: I tell you, what's re- you're, you're the only person who ever asked me this question. So I, I'm gonna give you an answer that's gonna surprise a lot of people. And I contemplated doing this several times and I had an opportunity to do it because I was training with a really good friend of mine. I'll tell you who it is and I'll tell you the story. But the event is the 400 meter hurdles. I just always felt like I could run the 400 hurdles with my speed and with my 800 meter strength. And I had the opportunity to train with Samuel Matete for three years toward the end of our career. And he actually taught me the 400 meter hurdles and then made me coach him in the 400 meter hurdles. So I've always, that that would have been the race. I mean, I always wanted to try the 400 meter hurdles. I mean, I I just really felt like with what I could do, I, I felt like that the world record could have been broken if I could have ran the 400 meter hurdles. I, I think I, I mean, I'm, I'm watching this guy run 45, and and it's impressive. But I, I, just in my mind, I'm 53 now, so I can say it now, you know. So it can't happen. But I, I honestly think I could have ran 45 in the 400 meter hurdles. Now wow. it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been pretty. It would have been ugly. But I, 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 think I could have run 45 in the 400 meter hurdles. So I'm not really surprised that the time is where it is. I think everyone else is, and I, I idolize Evan Moses and what he's done. 400 meter hurdle race and and also kevin young another good friend of mine um but you know now you have all these hurdlers that now can uh, think about going 45 in the hurdles because of the guy from norway who's done it so that 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 would be it it would be the 400 meter hurdles
1: wow that's amazing i can't even i mean people watched the 45 from olympics last year and are like people's minds were blown that's that's really amazing but i, I believe it based on like you had all this input from all these other athletes that I, I, I can't put it past you. So that's amazing. And you said that you coached Samuel Netebe back in the day. Yes. Uh, he
0: actually came to train with me in Gainesville for about a week. Okay. And then he stayed for two weeks. And then it was like three years, you know, because we had the same agent. And then he said, he called me Morta, you know, from his uh, language in Bemba from uh, Zambia. And he said, Morta. Listen, uh, I'm going to teach you the 400 meter hurdles, my friend, and then you're going to be my coach. I said, Samuel, what? He said, Yeah, you're going to be my coach. So we started working on it, and Samuel opened up. He went to Europe, ran two races, opened up faster than he's ever opened up ever in his season. And I said, Samuel, come back, let's train and get ready. Unfortunately, we had a crazy agent who was a little money hungry, and Samuel went and ran two more races, and he strained his hamstring. And that was it. And we talk about this still to this day. He's like, "Martha, I wish I would came back home." Because honestly, at that time when Samuel was training and some of the stuff we were doing training wise and what I was able to break down in his race from the information he gave me watching it, Samuel could have broke the world record. I mean, he had the second fastest time ever, and he's the forty-five second quarter mile, a forty-four eight, I think, four hundred meter, four hundred guy as well. So he was on the break, the brink of breaking that record.
1: That's amazing. So this this kind of like, um, you know, was a prelude to, you know, the amazing coaching you do now, but, you know, with world-class athletes there. So that is, that's amazing to hear. Um, and then just final question in terms of some of your interests. So curious, if you're, you know, traveling to Europe on a long flight, um, curious what your favorite movie would be to watch and what genre of music would you, or artists would Ooh. you take on and listen to?
0: Oh, that's a good one. I, well, because I lived in Europe for like five or six years, I lived in Italy and traveled all over and been everywhere. I like everything. You know, I'm from classical to jazz, to rap, to country, to blues, you know. So music wise, I'm all over the place. You know, it, you never know what I'm going to play, you know, on my on my on my on my phone or anything like that. So that can be all over. So I wouldn't necessarily have a favorite. I just like all types of music, definitely more 80s, 70s, older you know, music, I like that a little bit better. It seemed like they were singing than this synthesizer type stuff that I kind of hear now. Um, um, I love golf, I'm a big golf person. So I play golf a lot, I love golf. But more importantly, just helping people and just trying to give back, you know. I love when you take a kid, I'll give you an example. I have a kid uh, named Zachary Cooper who came to me, uh, he's a, he was a sophomore when I got him, he was 213 800. So the dad came to me and said, coach, can you help us? I said, absolutely. So this kid who was a two thirteen half miler last year is now getting ready to go to sectionals this weekend. He, now he runs one fifty seven. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, he, I, I, and 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 based on my predictions, he by the, before the season's next year he'll probably be a one fifty two, maybe one fifty one half miler. Wow. I mean, so I, I think with JJ, which one of my good friends, is coach at Stanford, a good friend of mine also coached me while I was running back in the day. And he said, one of the things, Mark, that you're really good at, that I always admire, is you're good at looking at someone and telling what they'd be good at. And so looking at kids, and but I tell people, there are two kinds of coaches. There are ones that coach the athlete, and those that come to the event. And I'm an athlete coach. Once I get to know you and what makes you tick, then we work on those, and we eliminate the excuses to how you can get to the next level. And, and that's very exciting for me. You take a kid running 60 seconds, and he or she runs you know, under 60 that's huge you know I'm super proud of I'm very excited you know for them and their accomplishments and I say if you listen to what I'm telling you and it works you take the credit if you listen to me it doesn't work I'll take the blame but I know how to fix it so it's it's exciting it's fun and I work on all types of sports so I work on all sports
1: that's beautiful
0: the mental side that that's huge the mental side is really where a lot of kids lose it they get on the line and they just completely forget about what they need to be doing and and executing
1: Got it, got it. So um, last question, if you can leave one piece of advice for young athletes, um, whether they're in high school coming up or they're in college, or maybe they're already pros, but they're still young, kind of navigating through their careers, um, what's like one piece of advice you would leave for them?
0: I think probably the most, most important, I wouldn't say the most important, but, uh, a piece of advice I would say is you're going to have negative thoughts when you get ready to compete or in life. So make a list of positive thoughts. And every time a negative thought comes in, bombard those negative thoughts with five positive thoughts. So just write a list of positive things. So anytime a negative thought comes in your head, there's five positive thoughts that will put that fire out.
1: Powerful, powerful. That is such great advice. Really appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, so I, I do appreciate you joining for the conversation. Um, really great insight you gave. It was wonderful to hear about your career and all the things that you're doing now, working with athletes and all the progress that you've made. So um, thank you so much, Mark Everett. Really do appreciate chatting with you today.
0: Thank you very much. It was a great interview. You did a great job. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Have day a great day.